0: One of the things I think is really important is not to always frame ageing around a deficit. I don't see it as a burden, and I'm constantly aware of how lucky I am to grow older.
1: This is Not What You Think. I'm Sasha Rosen. Have you ever thought about what the world is like as you get older? You kind of begin to disappear. Some people stop noticing you, and they should be noticing you. You're older. You've done awesome things. You've done interesting stuff. You've seen interesting stuff. This is a thing that gets even harder if you're a woman, and harder still if you're gay, or transgender, or if you just don't fit in. Teresa Savage has spent her life not fitting in. She's pretty much one at it. She runs the website 55uppity, which says it wants to pull apart all of the cliches about what older dykes and queers and lesos wear and think and believe. Thanks for coming in, Teresa. When did you first notice that you disappeared?
0: Probably in environments where, you know, you're trying to get served or you're trying to get someone's attention. And generally in, you know, those kind of environments where you're in a queue or you're standing at a bar or you're with your younger friends in an environment where you may be the only older person there. And you, you notice that fleeting glance and then glance straight over and go to the next person.
1: It's like they've judged you wanting and they're going yes. to go talk to someone else. Yes.
0: Yes, or you couldn't possibly be standing at the bar ordering ten shots for you and your friends at your age. So you get overlooked. Um, for myself, I'm, I think anyone who knows me knows I'm quite an assertive person and that doesn't happen for long without me going, Oi, you know, I'm here um, and making my presence known. I think that's fortunate for me because I have been able to continue to be an assertive woman as I've grown older. Um, I don't think that's necessarily the case for others. I'm sure there are many other kinds of situations where many older women get overlooked.
1: What sort of things happen if you present very visibly as, as a lesbian or as transgender? How does the world treat you?
0: I think that's something that's changed over my lifetime now. To be honest, I don't care. Earlier in my life, I probably did take a bit more notice of that kind of thing. But in my workplace, I work in a pretty conventional workplace. I'm probably fairly identifiable as a lesbian in that workplace. Uh, Yeah, you have cool
1: cool outfits and wonderful rockabilly hair.
0: (laughs) And that's just the way I am. And I've worked with many people over a long period of time, and that's perfectly okay now. Probably when I was younger, I would have been much more aware of the way people react to me. I do notice it in my workplace, you know, when I walk into a meeting, you can see the eyes look. I work in a very male-dominated organisation as well, so, you know, being a woman makes you stand out in any case. I'm often in meetings where I may be the only woman and there are nine men, and one of the interesting issues about that is that the men always know your name. I don't necessarily know (laughs) theirs.
1: Like you were saying, the world's really changed in the way that it it accepts or, or didn't used to accept people who are gay or people who are transgender. It used to be very, very legal and very, very okay for the world to discriminate against you.
0: Yes. I think that's one of the things we really need to keep in mind when we're looking at the experiences of older people in our community. We grew up and came out at a time when it was legal to discriminate against us. I had an experience, I think when I was about 25, where I won a job. I went for an interview. It was a competitive interview. I won the job. I was rung by the person on the panel who told me that I'd, I had the job. And then I didn't hear any more and I never got any paperwork. And eventually after, you know, some days I rang back and I said, you know, what happened about that? And they said, oh, we're withdrawing our offer because we did a bit of background checking and we know what kind of person you are and we don't want a person like you in our organisation.
1: And by person like you, they meant lesbian.
0: Yeah, that was perfectly legal for them to do that at that time. I did fight that, of course.
1: (laughs) You you had form for fighting. Yeah, that's
0: right. So I I actually enlisted my union, which was a difficult thing in itself. In At that time, I had to stand up in front of a general union meeting full of people that I didn't necessarily know were going to be sympathetic to me and tell them this story and get their backing. But I was backed in that and I actually won and they were told to offer me the job, by which time I told them where to stick it because I didn't want to work there but it did have a very good outcome for me that was in the Greater London Council.
1: What was the union reaction what were they actually Yeah like? because at
0: that time you know there hadn't been a lot of exploration of the issues around discrimination against lesbians and gay men there wasn't that general awareness but I think the principles you know were there and most good thinking people in the union um, saw that that issue was there. So, so supported me, which I, d- I didn't know what to expect from that. And I remember feeling sort of trepidation and my knees shaking, standing up out the front telling them, you know, here I am, I'm a lesbian and I've been discriminated against in the workplace. But I had a very positive response, which was great. And I like to think, you know, that that was one of the early things that sort of moved unions along, because they did very quickly come to the party, a lot of unions around that issue. At that time, one of the things about being young at that time was that we were massive activists around everything. I can think of things like homelessness, I can think, you know, we had huge poster campaigns, we did demos, we fought around abortion, we did community radio, we used every kind of medium. Because we were outlaws, Well, it wasn't illegal, no, but we were sort of outside of the law. I mean, I look back and think I had children at a time when there was absolutely no legal protection for lesbians having children, absolutely none. And so we did that on faith between us. I think that whole kind of having your paws open, you know, being extremely excited about the world. Also, I think the other part of that was, uh, you know, a lot of experimentation in our relationships and our sexual relationships at that time and we never used the word polyamory interesting
1: as in um, having love as well as sex with more than one person at one time yeah
0: all of that and challenging i think because of feminism challenging lots of things about heterosexual relationships and as lesbians us challenging that model and not wanting to repeat it we experimented with a lot of different ways of relationships friendships and sexual relationships there was multiples, which isn't quite the same as, as, as polyamory. Um And I think, you know, there was also a nod back to the whole sort of butch and femme. You know, the heyday of that always seemed to me in about the 50s or the 60s, in London anyway, at that time. There was a lot of um, discussion around pornography and what was acceptable and what wasn't and, you know, what was exciting and what wasn't. And sex work was also another issue that was a huge area of debate at that time. I think if you look in Sydney, I think it was in 1984 that that group called Sexually Outrageous Women who were a lesbian sex radical group at that time was formed in Sydney. If you think about that, the women who put that together, that was in 1984. So if they were 20 at that time, they're in the older group now.
1: And and presumably the the same generation is doing a lot of the same things now, just working out how you do that once you, you pass 55. That's right,
0: yeah. I think it's probably more having very long-term relationships and looking at how you maintain an active sexuality if that's what you want to do and i I think that's the other question that you have to think about that that may not be a huge motivating thing for some people either i think those the model of friendship as well has been very very strong in our community
1: there aren't any organizations to prepare you for how you deal with sexuality as you get older Uh,
0: not that i've seen no um what would you like there to be I suppose I would like to see some sort of lesbian and same-sex attracted materials, you know, around how do you deal with sex and the menopause? How do you deal with issues around sex and the body changing and not being as pliable or bendy as it used to be? To be comfortable with our own bodies as we age and looking at the positive aspects around wrinkles and baggy bits and... Bits that don't work anymore, or bits that have had to be replaced, or those uh, kind of things. Are uh, uh,
1: wrinkled sexy?
0: They certainly are.
1: <laughs> as they should be.
0: Yes, as they should be. A badge of <laughs> honour.
1: Is it especially different if you're a woman or if you're, you're queer at the stage?
0: I, I I do think there are different issues. In, um, for those of us who've been feminists for a very long time, there has definitely been a critique of the idealisation of the young, white, thin body. And so I think we are more used to challenging that and the objectification of young women. I think the, on the other hand, I think there are actually some issues, and I've sort of asked this question of quite a lot of people and people generally... Don't answer me. <laughs> but around the, the whole issue of older lesbians admiring younger lesbian bodies. And is that sleazy? What do you think? Is that sleazy?
1: Do you admire... It's any?
0: interesting. It's interesting that that issue, is, is sleazy is raised in that, in that context, isn't it? I think if it were younger women admiring other younger women's bodies, that issue wouldn't even come into it, would it?
1: It sounds like people are complaining that it's the older body,
0: Mm. Does that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes.
1: Do you think older women should be able to admire young women's bodies? Yes. According to the stereotypes, what is
0: an older lesbian? So, according to the stereotype, we're not sexual beings. We're in long-term relationships where we have lesbian bed death. Um...
1: So, so, no sex as you no get sex, older. This is the that's rule. That's right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We're uh, pretty stuck in our ways. We're not hugely interested in, in activism. We tend to play a lot of golf or tennis. We don't necessarily go to, uh, you know, may. M- more general uh, LGBTI events or that kind of thing Um, and I think uh, one of the other things that I, I do think is that there's the sort of nana stereotype. I've seen that actually in a lot of things like if you refer to an older woman or and or an older lesbian it's always you know go the nanas. I actually really object to being defined in terms of my relationship to children or anyone else actually. And if you ever see me on social media, you'll see me flame people who do that. Um, it's just its just as uh, oppressive as anything else and defining us in that way.
1: We've just talked about all this wonderful sex and love and, and long-term combination of the two. As you get older, you take that with you and you hit a nursing home and what happens there?
0: I think this is a whole new frontier for our activism. There's lots and lots and lots of anecdotal evidence that nursing homes find it very, very difficult to deal with LGBTI elders. I think the, the National LGBTI Health Alliance, they, they've got a thing called the Silver Rainbow um, Project, which is at, looking at a national strategy on ageing, and they've got quite a lot of evidence around lots of things about people's partners being excluded from decision-making, not being able to stay in the same facility in that end-of-life period, families of origin coming in and overriding the decisions that may have been made between the couple being ignored, not being referred to by your name that you may have been known as through the community, um, uh, and and I suppose having that whole thing of sort of we treat everyone the same. Well, it's not actually the same. Aged care facilities and aged care services need to really think about the particular kinds of issues that older LGBTI people need. I don't know if you've seen that film called Cloudburst, which has Olympia Dukakis and Brenda Fricker in it. They live through the whole experience of what it's like for an older lesbian couple to navigate the aged care system. It's an American film, but it's pretty indicative. And there's a lot of anecdotal evidence around people going back in the closet now.
1: So, So you're literally pretending that you're not gay anymore? Yes
0: because it's just too difficult and you're physically and mentally dependent on caregivers in those services that may or may not discriminate against you and I think there's been plenty of evidence that people have been. On the other hand, there's there's some really good work going on, there's a Victorian accreditation project called the Rainbow Tick which sets standards for services to formally accredit them to demonstrate their inclusiveness of LGBTI people. And I know I have a friend, actually, who's working on trying to get that at the moment for the Uniting Care Aging here in Sydney, uh, which will be a fantastic thing, which involves a huge lot of training and awareness and everything for staff.
1: It sounds like this is not so much a new issue. as It's just that activists have reached the point where they're old enough to be fighting this new battle. Exactly. It's this and it's funeral homes and everything yeah. has been covered by that point.
0: Yeah. I've heard situations which interrelate with the issue of poverty for older lesbians in particular, where if you don't have enough money and you're going into one of those facilities, the sort of cheaper option is to share a room with someone else and you know, being forced back into the closet because of the particular sort of dominant ideology of the person you're sharing with and the rest of the nursing home. Those kinds of things. Poverty is a really big issue for older lesbians. For all the reasons that, you know, it also is for older women, have generally earned less, therefore less superannuation, have taken periods out of the workforce to raise children and or look after elderly parents or other dependents. For lesbians in particular may have worked in non-government organisations or other kinds of activist organisations where you're always going to have low pay may have been excluded from your family of origin, so the kind of financial support you may be able to gain from your parents or whatever hasn't been there. So I think I, I there's think absolutely a lot of evidence around older lesbians in particular facing poverty. In our major cities, as you know, affordable housing is a bit of a joke, and so I think lots of older lesbians are often one step away from being homeless because of that lack of money and lack of backing and their life experiences the other issue I think that probably we have to acknowledge that the lesbian community has a higher level of mental health issues and or addiction issues and that those will also have impacted on your ability to accumulate enough money to live comfortably as an older person.
1: Being over 55 now does not mean the same thing that it used to mean.
0: No, that's exactly right. While acknowledging that there are lots of health issues for older people, I think improvements in our health have meant that many of us are going to go on living for a long time after we are 55 or 60. And I think one of the things that's really important to think about there is that actually it's a privilege. Growing older is much better than the alternative. I don't see it as a burden, and I'm constantly aware of how lucky I am to grow older. One of the things I think is really important is not to always frame ageing around a deficit, the loss of your mental capacity or your health. Yeah, it's all around a sort of negative model. While I acknowledge they are really important, I think there's lots of really positive things about getting older and getting older in our community. One of the things I think that's been really important for me has been around intergenerational friendships. I suppose I'd like to think that we're integrated together in a much better way than I think the rest of society isolates older people. We can do better than that. We can integrate our age groups and age differences within the LGBTI community.
1: Do you think that's already happening?
0: I do, yeah. I think there's a lot of things that are important for having a positive older life and I think one of the things is embracing change and being open to being challenged about things and embracing technology and looking for adventures. And for me, it's really important to share experiences with younger activists because it just enriches us all, I think. We're much more likely to succeed with things we're trying to change if we actually work together. Do you think
1: younger activists are as disreputable as you guys? And if not, should they be?
0: <laughs> Some of them are, yeah. Yes. And I think one of the other things is when I was a young activist, I actually didn't know any older lesbians. And I think it is really important to not be kind of silenced or shut back in, you know, that that the issues of the age are, are there for all of us.
1: I was reading one of your interviewees on 55 Up, and he was saying that when they were young, they didn't know other lesbians existed.
0: mm. mm. I didn't when I had my first lesbian relationship when I was 16. I thought I'd turned into some strange sort of monster from outer space or something. It took me quite a while to sort of settle down about that. Yeah, yeah. I think that acknowledgement that we're here, you know, for a long time and that there's a lot of work still to be done is really important in that intergenerational friendship issue. And I must say that I really, really enjoy being challenged by my younger friends around the issues that they're interested in and motivated by, and I think it's really very stimulating, and I'm happy to lend a hand in the issues that are important to them.
1: Have they changed your mind about any issues?
0: Um... I think there are some issues that are kind of keystone issues. I think transgender issues, particularly for older radical lesbian feminists, have been a challenge. That wasn't a challenge for me, but I do know lots of people who've had to think about it carefully and change their mind from the kind of anti-trans activism that was around a long time ago. So I think that's one of the issues, and you know, far be it from me to mention it, but I think marriage equality is probably an issue of difference across the ages.
1: Uh, And that sounds like a whole show in and of itself. So instead, (laughs) I think I'm going to say thank you so much for coming on. Okay. If you want to know more about cool, older LGBTI, that's lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender and intersex woman, you can check out her website, 55uppity.com. That's two T's one P. There's a link to it in our show notes and there's a new one about to go up as we record right now. It should be there already by the time you're listening. If you like this podcast and you think someone you know might like it, tell them that they should check it out. There are links on our website at fbiradio.com slash notwhatyouthink, and there are a bunch of other great FBI podcasts at fbiradio.com podcasts. Do you have an idea for a show you think we should be doing? There's a link on that page for you to tell us all about it. Know What You Think is produced by Samira Farrow, with additional production by Olivia Puri-Griffiths and Lachlan Wiley. Incredible show art, as always, by Annie Hamilton. It was created by Laura Briley, Claire Holland, and me, I'm Sasha Rosen. Keep listening for our next episode.